Hello and welcome back to the Blue Tomorrow podcast and we are on unlucky episode number 13 and it has been another unlucky week for the Chelsea men's team at least. I'm calling it the week of misery in Manchester because two games in Manchester away from home, two defeats for the men's team. It's been uh, pretty, pretty much representative of our season as a whole. Although I think the battering against Man United is a bit worse. But let's start with some positivity because there is positivity always on this podcast whenever you're talking about the Chelsea women because they always seem to do something good when the men's team are doing a lot worse. And that was a huge, huge, huge 2-0 victory over Arsenal at home at the weekend. I mean, those points have pretty much, fingers crossed, touch wood, uh, secured the WSL title, provided that Chelsea can beat bottom of the league Reading, who I believe... I've either been relegated or on the very verge of being relegated. Tom, you were at that game. What was it like being there? What was the atmosphere like? Give me, give me a brief overview of your experience. Yeah, it was a wonderful way to spend a, a Sunday lunchtime. I, I mean, I will admit I was in the wrong end of King's Meadow, which is <laughs> against my sins. I hid myself well amongst the Arsenal fans who, fair place, then brought a very good atmosphere in what is, as we well know, a very small stadium. But... Yeah, it was a great game. Um, the Chelsea women sort of turned up exactly how they needed to. Started the game brilliantly. Didn't give Arsenal a sniff. I think the, there was only one massive chance that they had in the big in the first half, which they didn't put away. But yeah, two great goals in the first half. Um, for the first one, Eve Perisay put a perfect ball in for Guru Rice in right at the back post, sliding it past Zimsberger in the Arsenal net. And then it had to be either one of um, Ericsson or Panilla Harder on their final game at Kings Meadow to seal the points. And it was the probably the more surprising of the two to put the ball in the net. But Ericsson getting a goal on her swan song at home, it was a lovely way to sort of seal it off. Arsenal did get back into the game a little bit in the second half. We did have to rely on Berger making some pretty good saves quite early on. Um, there was a chance for Harder to kill the game, which he didn't quite take, which would have been nice. But... And then, of course, Arsenal did miss the penalty as well with Kate McKay putting it miles wide of the goal, I will admit. That was quite fun to be in the Arsenal end for when that happened because it was pretty hard not to laugh. But, yeah, so all round, very, very good day. And then an emotional speech at the end from both Ericsson and Harder as they said goodbye to the Chelsea fans. And, yeah, as you've said, we should now all but, all but be WSL champions. I mean, bar that last-minute goal from United on Sunday, we would be here talking about that. But... We'll have to wait another week, which is perfectly fine by me. And yeah, hopefully that will be secure by this time next week. Yeah, you mentioned those two huge losses that are going to be felt at the end of the season in Magda Eriksson and Panilla Harder. What kind of an impact do you think that's going to have on the squad going forward? Yeah, I think both of them in their own respective ways will be big misses. Um, Harder going forward has provided a great sort of source of goals when she's come back from injury, especially when we've been missing Sam Kerr. In, sorry, not Sam Kerr, Frank Kirby in behind Sam Kerr. So she has filled that role really well. And even when Sam's curves needed a rest, she's played up front and got the job done, which has been very nice. And then for Ericsson, it will be a massive miss for leadership in the in the changing room. She's been captain since she's been here for five years now. It might be six by the end of the season. I believe she has arrived in 2017, so this will be her sixth season. So yeah, there will both be huge personalities missed in the dressing room. We have got good players to replace them. I think Millie Bright is a perfect light-for-light captain. She's already very vocal and very vocal part of the team and has fulfilled the role as captain on various occasions for the Blues. So that role will be filled quite nicely. But you can tell from sort of the reactions of their teammates when they were saying goodbye the weekend, sort of how much they're loved amongst the team and amongst the fan base as well. There will be big misses for us. 
Let's talk a bit about Guru Raiten because obviously she got the first goal in that game and she's just had a fantastic season going from strength to strength, really. She, I mean, she's really grown into her own as a player kind of over these past two two seasons, really, and she's really cemented her place in the squad this year. How important has she been to this hopeful title win? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd argue that she's probably been our player of the season. Um, she's probably been the only player, I, I believe, that's been consistent from start to finish. She's always given a solid performance whenever she's on the pitch. She's come up with some very key goals for us this season. And yeah, as you mentioned, she has grown really, really well. She wasn't one who shone massively last season, but she did always have her quality. Just other players around her were pulling the weight a lot more than they have done this season. So she stepped up when we've needed her and yeah, got another massive goal this weekend. I, I mean, I've, I've argued when the FWA results came out and Sam Kerr won that, I argued that she wasn't even the best Chelsea player this season, let alone the league's best player this season. So I think, yeah, she has been arguably our player of the season. Yeah, I think Sam Kerr winning that is kind of like, you know, when Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi always top two in the Ballon d'Or, like they're just the most famous players. Yeah, really. it's one of those. Yeah. You, can, you know everyone in the FWA gets a vote, so it's like you can tell half of them don't watch the league. Yeah, half so of them, like, mm. and they just vote for Sam Kerr because yes, she's the most, most well-known player. Least, yeah. So this is, I think, the sixth sixth potentially WSL title for Emma Hayes, assuming we win. Again, punch wood, <laughs> punch wood, punch wood. <laughs> if we lose to Reading, do we have to lose? Uh, we'll have to lose and United have to win, yeah. Okay. So it's, it's, if this is a TikTok click next week, we're going to look stupid. Yeah, we will look absolutely stupid. Mm. Um, but... <laughs> When does it get to a point for Emma Hayes where she thinks, oh, I've done too much for this team now? I mean, hopefully never. Hopefully never, because she's absolutely unbelievable. Definitely best manager in women's football history. I mean, she's coming into one of the best managers in English football history at this point. She's got more league titles than anyone apart from Sir Alex Ferguson now, and maybe Pep Guardiola. Mm, close, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so do you think there's any any part of her that thinks about moving on, perhaps? I mean, I know there have been links to high 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 standard men's teams or even the women's uh, national team for England or do you think she just sticks at Chelsea because she loves the club we know she loves the club really and also still that elusive Champions League remains what do you what do you reckon yeah so that's an interesting theory um, I can think of reasons as to why she'd do either or um, I think for staying in the job it's a case of there's plenty of unfinished business especially in Europe we've We've come close once before and then didn't quite get as close as we should have done this season. So I'm sure there'll be her sort of thinking that she'll want to target that and give it another good go to try and win that. And um, the league, the, elite, the English league itself, I think it's getting so much stronger compared to what it was when she came in. So I think she'll probably be relishing in that sort of challenge as the teams like United have shown they can strengthen quite well with a bit of investment. And then there are teams coming up through the lower divisions who in three or four years will be able to compete with that sort of money behind them. So there'll be that element. But there's also the element of, I know she said in her sort of post-match notes after the game at the weekend that she wants to spend more time with her son. She's done a lot more with that this year, especially with her health issues. So that may be, I think that'd be more of a reason for her to sort of step back from the job eventually rather than going elsewhere. Whether there'll be a job sort of maybe in the England role, I, I have no idea how long Savina Wiegman will be staying, whether she goes beyond the World Cup depending on what happens there with England or whether she's in here for another cycle after that. Or like you mentioned, whether there's a, a decent sized men's job. I know that I, it might be about three, four years ago now when MK Dons were rumoured to be sniffing around her and Emma Hayes very publicly said no, no Well, that's chance. a joke, isn't it? Yeah, really? yeah, she's yeah. She's a much better manager she than done, that. Done, I think we've done the Invincibles in the league that season. Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm not going to jump to a struggling, I think, League One side at the time. So yeah, it, unless something like a big sort of 
industry-breaking move to maybe a, a team sort of battling in the bottom end of the Premier League, something like that, who take a punt on her or an international side, maybe like a, a decent side in Europe might make that sort of move. But whether they'll pick an, an English English women's manager, I don't know. So yeah, something like that maybe. But I think that might be a little bit far too of a way off to happen during her time as a manager. Yeah, I can't imagine that a women's manager will be received particularly well in in the men's game by a lot of older fans yeah particularly. I, think, I can see it being quite a toxic situation if that goes wrong there's going to be a lot of things that we don't you're not going to want to hear and reactions that are just going to be completely misogynistic and things like that so it'll be a, it'll be a huge risk for the game I yeah think. i think she does she would risk tarnishing what has been an incredible legacy if she did make that move across the men's game not that she's incapable of i think she's perfectly capable of i think she's a lot better than a lot of the managers in the premier league right now not going to name one in particular, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I think she's perfectly capable of doing it. But I do think she's coming in with an expectation. She would be coming in with an expectation, much like a lot of, of a lot of black uh, Premier League managers have, that they have to outperform other managers just to be seen as as competent by a lot of sections of fans. Anyway, let's move on to. I don't mean I don't want to, but let's move on to. to <laughs> we tried that out quite nicely to keep it happy for a bit longer for once. Yeah, we like made that. ten minutes of fun. Yeah. Uh, now let's have twenty minutes of misery. Oh, good lord. <laughs> uh, let's start with Manchester City. I mean, going into this game, I think we all knew it was going to be a loss, and perhaps the loss actually wasn't as bad as many of us predicted. I think I predicted six 0 last week. Yeah. Which didn't happen. It has happened before, but it didn't happen this time. Uh, one nil loss. It, it was a pretty much Manchester City sub squad against, well, a slightly rotated Chelsea team with some interesting inclusions. Um, let's talk about the goal, and we're going to talk about him a lot today. I think oh, Wesley yeah. Fofana gives mm-hmm. the ball away, and that that leaves our defenders all over the place. Not great from Thiago Silva. Chalaber maybe caught upfield because of the bad pass. What do you think? What do you think went wrong for Fafana in that City game? And we will come on to the Man United game, but let's talk about particularly the City game for now. Yeah, I think just for the City game, looking at that, then when we set up with the back four like we did against a side like that, even though City had made however many changes they did, they're still a world that was still a world class eleven we were playing against with a couple of youngsters maybe spread in there as well. So there's a lot of pressure on him to perform. I think with Thiago Silva next to him with. Without that third centre-back, it puts a bit more pressure on Fafana. He's got to be the quick one. He's got to be the one who's chasing back. He's got to be the one who maybe has to make those decisions with the short passes. And then when he does, obviously, we saw that Thiago Silva's trying to do two jobs at once because Chalaba's being asked to push much further forward. It's... I think it was more of a back... I will correct myself. I think it was more of a back five against City, wasn't it? Then was that, yeah, so I mean, I'm thinking too much of the United games because, yeah, we had Hall on the left, didn't we? But yeah. same difference that um, Frank's asking Chalibur to push up when we're in possession in that system that we were on um, Sunday, which when there is an error like that made, it's almost impossible to, to rectify it when you've got a, a team like City coming at you. So... Yeah, he didn't have the best of a best of days there, and then the goal came at a time as well, which was really frustrating because I think we had had a couple of okay chances before that. We'd been a couple of bits and couple of moments where we were pressing through their team, but it was a case of oh, we, we, you give them one chance at all, and they will take it. Absolutely agree. I mean, towards the end of the game, especially Chelsea were absolutely peppering that City goal, and I think even in the first half, I think we were the better side. I'm t- I'm trying to remember specific chances. I will just get them up uh, on my phone. Yeah, what, one I can think of sort of off the top of my head was a ball over the top from Fernandez to Sterling, who all he needed to do was a, a, a decent pass across the face of goals to Havertz. We might have had a chance to put it in, but he sort of fluffed his touch 
it was either an overhit touch or an underhit pass and didn't quite get to him. And there was another one where he got through as well, where maybe he should have done a bit better. But yeah, there were, and then yeah, there was another one where Enzo played a great ball over the top towards Havertz, and we didn't quite take it there either. So yeah, another one, Gallagher hits the post and it oh, kind of rolls yeah, around yeah, on yeah, the line. Yeah. Mm. So this isn't to say that Chelsea didn't create chances. We certainly did. We just have the problem that we've had all season. We can't mm, finish them. No. We just constantly, no matter what, no, it, it seems like the world is against us when we're shooting. Like the ball will roll across the line. It will hit the crossbar, it'll hit the post. The goalkeeper will just magically pull out the most incredible save. No matter what we do, we just can't, can't seem to get it in the net. But eventually it does ha come... Ha it does have to come to a point where you look at your forwards and you're like, well, why can't you just score, <laughs> please? I mean, Havertz in particular, again, against United, not great. Bad finishing, bad final touch, bad final pass. I mean, I think we're going to talk about the Man United game for a bit longer because that's just more fresh in the memory. Yeah, and also the City result, while, uh, yes, it's a loss. It's not the worst result in the world. 1-0 away from home at Manchester City is a lot better than Arsenal did. So Yeah, I mean, I mean they were obviously on the beach, of course. But yeah, true. I'd, 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 love to, I'd love to talk about as well the lineup for the City game. I thought that was very extremely underwhelming. We, it, we, it was probably, we were probably hoping for more of the starting eleven that we saw last night with the, people like Carly Chukwemeka and Madwake and Mudrick starting. None of those three started that game against City, which I found very frustrating. I know... Coming off the back of the Forest game, there was no chance Sterling was going to be dropped because he was in decent form before then. So he was always going to start. But having having Havertz in there again and him not performing in a, in a big league game, at least, is just we've seen it far too often now. I would have liked to have seen a couple more youngsters in there for that one. Yeah, I really shot myself in the foot earlier in, in this podcast when I called Havertz a big game player. <laughs> <laughs> ah, he did it against Dortmund. He makes us believe every yeah, now true. and then, doesn't yeah. he? Every, every time, every mm. time he thinks he's out, he pulls us back in. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while since he's pulled us back in this yeah, time, to be fair to Yeah, he really could have done with pulling us back in in the last mm. few days. Right, let's talk about Manchester United game last night. 4-1 defeat, embarrassing defeat once again at Old Trafford. Um, once again, same story. Chelsea create chances, don't score, concede mm. from a free kick, create more chances, don't score, concede before half-time, come out in the second half and just look absolutely dreadful. Tom, what did you make of the game? Well, I think there's a there's a three-minute period that probably sums up our entire season, which is that wonderful pass from Lewis Hall into, into Mikhailo Mudrik. One-on-one with the keeper, on the penalty spot, just need to stab it past the keeper. Completely fluffs his line, goes with the wrong foot, completely misses the chance, and then we give away a silly foul 30 seconds later, and one header, goal, one nil down. It's, it was, yeah, it, it was a... There were a few, there were a nice couple of moments. I'm sure we're going to get on to the players who played all right and didn't, didn't they put a good word in for themselves for, for the next season. But there was so much last night. We, we were all over the place. I think if United, if, you, if we, we played like we played last night against City, it would have been 8, 9, 10, 2, something like that. The amount of chances United had where they were 5 on 4, 5 on 3. I think there was one where they were 4 on 1, the one where Aspicoeta had to tackle Martial because he decided to take a touch for some reason when he was 1 on 1 in the penalty box. So it was, there was a lot there where I think Frank was clearly going for, OK, we're just going to attack them as much as we can because United, when they've been away from home, have shown they are they are quite leaky at the back. I mean, they did have Casemiro back yesterday who showed why he has dragged them to the lead position that they are because he is clearly their best player this season, in my opinion. But yeah, there was, there was just a lot there yesterday which left a lot to be desired, especially with the forwards. I mean, yeah, there were so many chances. Um, do, do we want to do a, a special bit about Conor Gallagher, <laughs> if you can stomach it? Yeah, we can do a special bit mm. about Conor Gallagher. 
I, I just want to mention that Manchester United before yesterday hadn't conceded at home in the last six games. Or yeah, like I, that, remember, so. I did remember that. Let's go. We broke that <laughs> yeah, record. Yeah, we broke it. That's lovely, lovely stuff. 90th minute. It's because I had De Gea in my uh, fantasy football uh, I, I saw it. I knew a lot of people in my yeah. league had you know, Man United defenders. Was like, please, yeah. please, Also please, had please. Luke Shaw, who got subbed off at half time. Yeah. And also had Anthony, who got subbed off after half an hour. But I had Rashford, and he didn't play <laughs> during the week and didn't start, but he got goals. So win-win. <laughs> win-win, <laughs> win-win. Okay, let's, let's talk about Gallagher. Yeah. Because, I mean, he has been starting a lot under Frank Lampard. I think he's been unbelievably underwhelming. Mm. I just don't understand how Conor Gallagher can get into this Chelsea team with players around him. Like, I think Loftus-Cheek is better than him. I think Chukwameka is better than him. I know they're injured, but I think Kovacic is better than him. I think Mount is better than him. I think there's a lot of players at this football club that are better than Conor Gallagher. And there's a lot of players at other football clubs that are better than Conor Gallagher. He is good for a mid-table Premier League team, which I guess is what Chelsea are at the moment. But next season, he should not be at this club. I'm sorry, there's no two ways about it. He is not good enough to start in the Premier League for Chelsea. He is not as good as Mason Mount. He has never been as good as Mason Mount or ever looked at as being as good as Mason Mount. He can score a goal, but that doesn't make up for his poor work on the ball, his poor work defensively, and his poor work off- offensively. I think yesterday was a prime example. He looked like Bambi on the pitch. He was falling over every time he got the ball. There was a clip when he ran down the left wing and just like fell over himself. And it's actually like laughable that that is a Premier League footballer starting for Chelsea. And I feel sorry for him because he shouldn't be starting. He's not good enough. I don't know why Frank Lampard persists with starting him every week. Loftus-Cheek is 10 times the footballer that Conor Gallagher is. Conor Gallagher may have more years on him and may have more potential in the future. But right now, we need players that can actually play the game of football and Conor Gallagher is not one of them. I mean, you talked about the three three minutes that summed up our season. There's another three minutes right at the end of the half. Enzo Fernandez plays through Conor Gallagher. Fantastic chance. One-on-one with De Gea. Kicks it wide. They go up the other end. Lack of concentration from Lewis Hall defensively, and there's 2 0 going into half time. I mean, what do you think about Gallagher? Because it's making me angry. <laughs> yeah, th- that's, this is why I sensitively asked if you wanted to talk about <laughs> Gallagher, because I had a feeling something like that was going to happen. Um, yeah, last night was really frustrating. Um, I think it hurts me more when I see Gallagher p- playing as poorly as he does, because I know, you, we all know he wants to be there. He's living his dream playing in the Chelsea show, and we, the fan base demands so much of that from Chelsea players. They're, we're not going to go into the thing that happened on Twitter last night, but all the responses are, oh, he doesn't want to be here, oh, there's no point bringing him back, blah, 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 whereas Gallagher's the complete opposite. So when he does play like he do, did last night, it's so frustrating because we need, he needs to have both, and I think you're right. He, he had definitely in his current form... As, under every manager we've had this season as well, there was a period under Tuchel where, okay, maybe Tuchel was playing him out of position, a bit too deep than he's used to, but he didn't cover himself in glory there. There wasn't any long periods of time under Graham Potter where he covered himself in glory. He got a nice goal against Palace and had a couple of games where he came off the bench and did a job. But yeah, he start, I think he started the last four games in a row under Frank and every single one he's not done anything of merit, anything of massive note. I mean, yeah, we, you, you mentioned those three minutes at the, the end of the second half. You could see his teammates around and get so frustrated with his decision-making. Like that chance where he puts it wide, he's either got to cut his foot around it more and put it back to the back post where Havertz was lurking, or you you put it to the near post from that angle. I, I think he just got, he got his... I think he's going for the shot by the looks of it and just gets his foot round it far too much to put it into that corner. And then the one at the end, just after, there was one just after that, before the second goal went in. I can't remember completely how it went, but it was a ball over the top and there were players on the edge for the pass and he completely mucked the pass up and it went out of play. So it was, and it, I think it was Enzo who did a very sort of vote. I know there, was, there were two players running down the left. I think it was Madwake and Mudrick had gone to the left-hand side. All he had to do was square it to the left and said he went for the shot and blazed it over the bar. And Enzo just 
gestures wildly. You've got two men open there. Pick the pick the simple pass, put the ball in the back, give us the better opportunity to score the goal. So, yeah, he's he's very very frustrating. I do agree with you almost on every single one of your points about how there are we have better players than him at this club. Of course, I, there may be reasons he's playing. Whether he's going to be he's going to be one that's not going to be pushed out the door unless someone comes in for a massive fee and the club club accepts it. But yeah, it was it was painful to watch. I will give him a little bit of like I know you went in on the slip, and I know Twitter went in on, on him for the slip. I will give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt there. I think there were about six players who slipped on that pitch last yeah, he night. He slipped three I, times. I know he was one who did it a few times, but there, there were a few players on each team who slipped all over the place. His one was just a lot more comical because it was going forward in a good chance of play, and he fell a lot more comically than the others. But yeah, it, it was there was a lot yesterday where where he did not help himself. And did he play the... He was part of that massive haul of substitutions right at the end, I think. So he got another 88, 89 minutes under his belt. It might be... Yeah, it was a bit less than that, actually. Yeah, yeah. I I sort of zoned out in the 78th minute, to be fair. So, (laughs) yeah, it's another game where I'm not not sure why he's staying on the pitch when he's playing poorly. It'd be interesting to see what Pochettino makes of him in the summer, what the club want to do with him. Where because he's he's one where we can make a lot of money if there is a club that comes in for him, even if it's for twenty five, thirty million, that will be a massive boost to our books. So there's there's that option as well. It's gonna be it's gonna be a strange few months for Conor Gallagher, and he's at a weird crossroads in his career where he has he has been given time after time, opportunity after opportunity for us, and he's not been good enough. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I, it feels harsh criticizing someone who is only twenty-three so harshly. But he's playing next to a twenty-two-year-old, Enzo Fernandez, who is triple the footballer he is. He's got triple the football IQ brain, and there is definitely an element of oh, he's come through the academy, that's why he should be playing. That I'm sorry, that's not how it works at Chelsea, and it's not how it works at any any big club apart from Manchester City, where they win every game, so they can afford to throw in an academy player every every so often. Every academy player has to earn their place. Reese James has to had to earn his place. Mason Mount had to earn his place, and even Mason Mount gets abused regularly for not playing well. I mean, Conor Gallagher, he's just I, there's so many flaws in his game, and he's so so far below other players around him. It's really going to hurt my feelings if we sell Loftus Cheek and keep Conor Gallagher because I just think Loftus Cheek is so much better of a footballer. When Loftus-Cheek picks up the ball, I actually feel a sense of something's about to happen. When Gallagher picks up the ball, I'm worried that he's going to fall over or just give it away. And that is unfortunately what has been happening far too often recently. I mean, I mentioned Enzo Fernandez there. He's another player. He's played every single minute since uh, since we bought him in January for $106 million or whatever he was. Mm. And I think for every single minute, bar maybe a couple of 90, he's looked the best player in Chelsea's team by far. What do you make of him? Especially yesterday, where again, he was absolutely fan bloody tastic uh, he did it blows my mind how he's been able to shine in the shower of shit he's been put into <laughs> the, the, the fact that there were twitter compilations after the city game and after the united game last night of him playing sublime passes all over the place i think that i can't remember one press last night where he came off worse he either won the foul or beat his man every single time he's and there was a, the great moment at the end where they scored the penalty and for some reason malasia puts his arm around him to try and Rile him up, which he did. He did, did rile him up, but he was the only one still giving a shit in the in that point of the game, which was good to see for, at that point of view because that's what we need. We need some we need some grit and determination this side because a lot of it's been worn off this season from all the horrific performances. A lot of players are down in the dumps, very depressed about how everything's going at the club, which you can understand. Whereas he's still fighting right to the end, three nil down. He still wants to give something back to the fans who were there give something back to his teammates, give something back to the team. And 
yeah, he's we we are so lucky that he made that decision to come to us because there's no way if we waited that six months from January to now that he would come. <laughs> no, and we could gen- very generally be facing the threat of relegation with I. I think. Mm, yeah, uh, it's it's a fair it's a fair <laughs> assumption. <laughs> not even not even being hyperbolic. Uh, yeah. Let's let's talk about another player in midfield who I thought shined as mm. well yesterday. Finally, finally given a chance to start after Gallagher started five games in a row. Carney Chukwemeka gets f- his first start in ages. I think first start perhaps since we signed him second maybe might be yeah i think it is only his second maybe third start if you yeah, including all, yeah. all competitions but yeah yeah we mentioned the the shocking treatment he's received uh, last week i think on the podcast yeah we did yeah yeah and he did get a start today or yesterday against manchester united and he was brilliant mm. driving forward almost in a loftus loftus cheek-esque fashion driving through midfield playing the correct pass and not losing the ball not giving the ball away in stupid positions and not falling over uh, what did you make of Chukwemeka's performance? And do you hope that he starts against Newcastle? I think I know the answer to that second <laughs> question. <but laughs> yeah, especially the first 45 minutes, I think he showed exactly why there's been such a confusion amongst our fan base of why he's not been given any minutes under Lampard since before the City game where he came off the bench. He he was very similar to Fernandez, and whenever he's given the ball, he was shielding it nicely. He was able to turn players, break away, and as you mentioned, made the right pass on at least two or three occasions we were going forward. He, he covered himself in glory. He was playing probably a bit deeper than he normally likes, but we're in that situation now where he is probably the only other midfield we have left. So he's got to play there next to Enzo Fernandez. I don't think even Enzo Fernandez doesn't want to be playing as deep as he is. So fair play to him for stepping up with that. He did did his job nicely. Um, second half, he didn't get into the game as much. I don't, I don't know whether that was a tactical thing. He was moved out into different positions or whatever else but he, yeah he did he did very very well and I think yeah we will see him starting the Newcastle game as well yeah f- fantastic player let's talk mm-hmm. about I think the oldest and youngest Chelsea starters yesterday as Liqueta and Lewis Hall and I think both of them did fantastically agree yeah I do agree um I'll start with Aspilicueta I think for what we've seen from Aspilicueta this season he probably had his best game <laughs> all season <laughs> there were there were a few moments where maybe he was getting getting beaten for pace on the right hand side but, but that's to be expected yeah though, yeah right? of the current level that we know of Aspi that's a, a part of his game we know that's going to happen putting him in a back in a back four now is very very risky and we played that risk quite well but yeah, his tracking back, his tackles were almost like the Aspicoeta of a couple of years ago during the Champions League run where he was still playing at, at almost his top level. Um, there was a, his tackle against Martial, I mentioned earlier, when he chased it back, the fist pump celebration came out. I don't think I've seen him do that for a long time, <laughs> which was very nice to see. And there was a lot, he was doing a lot of the work when we were being caught in the break and a lot of the work going forward as well. I think there was one moment where Mad Wake had it down the right wing where Aspicoeta was the one on the penalty spot because he carried on his run, which is what he would have been told to do in that job. But it's yeah, a lot of hard work for them, them to run back and forth. And I mean, we saw the toll it took on his body. I think he went down three times yesterday to receive some treatment, which is a sign of his age and the hard work he had to do. So props to him. Um, what did you think of his performance? Yeah, I, I mean, we, we know, Chelsea fans know that it's time for Aspicoeta to move on. But he has been such a such a great player for this club and I think yesterday kind of showed that he's how good he he can be or has has been in the past I mean there are seasons especially under Mourinho and Conte where he was one of our one of our best players in title winning seasons in that Champions League run he was he was pivotal I mean this is a player who's won it all for Chelsea and I know he gets he gets a lot of disrespect nowadays but I think we do need to put a bit of respect on Aspilicueta's name because he is he is one of the top 10, I would say, in Premier League era Chelsea legends. That might be going too far. No, I, th- I think you have one. He's the only one of, our, of Chelsea's players who's won every single trophy. And he's, he's, he has been here a long time. I know he's 
last few years might have downplayed his when he was very very good but yeah i think he could very easily be in that conversation absolutely i mean it's kind of reminiscent of ivanovic at the end of his time Mm. but i don't think azpilicueta got anywhere near as bad as ivanovic oh yeah ivanovic is a lot quicker and a lot worse ivanovic's (laughs) decline was like falling off the face of a cliff oh yeah yeah 15 to 17 jesus (laughs) (laughs) and let's talk about the the other player the youngest player on the on the pitch i think yes yeah he was yeah Uh, lewis hall started against city was pretty good to start against United. I thought was even better. Should have definitely had two assists if it mm-hmm. weren't for the in, uh, incapabilities of Havertz and Mudrick up front. What do you make of him? I thought he was up and down the pitch like a yo-yo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he was. He was very, very good yesterday. Um, he is another game where of the short, small handful we've seen of him against a, a, in a big, big stadium. He seems to only club. get starts against yeah, top six yeah, teams. Yeah, yeah, I think apart from the Forest <laughs> game a few weeks ago, he his. He played seven games of this season, and five five of them have against, been against Manchester teams. <laughs> Four of them against City, which is outrageous. But yeah, no, he's, he did very very well yesterday. There were some nice moments down the where he was defending. He's winning the ball. He's beating players. The making the right passes, making the right decisions with his turns, things like that, which is great to see. Considering he's not a left back, which we need to keep reminding people, he's not a left back. Um, so he did very well there. And then going forward, he's making the the right passes. He's He's, it's the first time since the Liverpool game I think we've seen Mudrick have the sort of pass he's looking for be played to him. It was a nice, nicely wasted. He was able to take it first touch and use his pace to find another te- teammate. So props to Lewis Hall for that. And you're right, yeah, he was perfectly robbed of two perfectly good assists. Perfect crosses into both Mudrick and Havertz. Should have been two assists. Yeah, he had, he had a very, very good game yesterday. Apart yeah. from, we did mention for the lapse con- concentration for a goal. But again... He's not left back, so he, that will happen. Yeah, he's. Yeah, it was a mistake, definitely. But I mean, you mentioned he's not a left back, and he's only eighteen. That, mm. That's going to happen. Yeah. And realistically, he should have been helped out by other players who who didn't help him out really at all. Um, okay, let's talk about one more player. We have mentioned him a few times. It is Chelsea's almost a hundred million pound signing. It is the man who was supposed to go to Arsenal until we stole him. Ooh. And, <laughs> uh, it is Mikelo Mudrik. Yeah. What did you make of him? Oh, it's it's he he, he is very very stress, frustrating. Um, I think it's it summed it up perfectly in my head when he got that chance in the first few minutes that. I expected him more to miss than to score, <laughs> which I think is probably something that might be playing in his head as well. Um, I was l- listening to commentary by and- Andy Townsend last night, and I think he summed it up perfectly that he's a confidence player, which I think his confidence at the moment is in the absolute toilet. He's, he's being asked, a loss is being asked of him in a team that's not going to help him out. I think he, he, will, he needs the players around him to be playing well to get that first goal and then kick on a bit, but... There were moments last night where he wasn't doing the basics correctly. Like he was, he's taking these these touches where he's trying to knock it onto himself for pace. He's making passes that are either far too short, far too long. He's we we see how much Mad Weight gets into the game in comparison to Mudrik. I think that might be a positional thing. He's a bit more over the place. Um, there were I think he I, I know this might be debatable, but I think he was slightly better than he has been in other games this season. But there were a lot of bad things that he did as well last night. So, it, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, it's very frustrating, but I, I do believe he will come good under a good manager, a bit, bit better guidance than what he's probably getting at the moment and a bit more confidence and confident players around him. I mean, I previously thought that Cucurella was kind of a symbol of how the ownership, the new ownership at Chelsea have, have handled this season. A rash decision to buy, not the proper research done and ultimately looking to be a failure. But now I'm moving on to Michaelo Mudrik, and I think it's it's Cucurella times two. Mm. I mean, 
he might come good in the future. There's no there's no debate about that. He he might come good in the future, but there is no way that anyone can ever argue to me that he was worth 90 million when we bought him. There is no way that anyone can tell me that the board and whoever was in charge of recruitment then did proper research on Mikhailo Mudrik and did not just think Arsenal want him, let's get him instead. They might have done some research, I'm not debating that, but there is no way they they properly scouted him and saw that kind of player, that sort of that sort of talent and thought this is a 90 million pound player because there is no way that's a 90 million pound player and it's been seen with his performances on the pitch he had one good performance against Liverpool and since then every single person can see it his touch is raw it's not good enough it's not good enough for a 90 million pound player compare compare him to Enzo Fernandez on the ball shocking his finishing is 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 woeful at best I'm not saying it's Shakhtar, he didn't do a great job, but at Shakhtar, I imagine you get a lot more space to run with the ball. I imagine you're a lot less heavily marked, and I imagine it's a lot easier to have more shots in a game. It's, it, it, that's, it, you do make some fair points. There are some that I do wholly disagree with, I will admit, especially suggesting that the board don't do the job they're paid millions of pounds to do is by scouting players. <laughs> but no, I, 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 you do have a point with the price we paid. It's going to take a lot for him to pay that back. I, I, I will completely disagree with your Cucurella argument, considering Mikhailo Mudrik is a lot younger than Cucurella. <laughs> so there's a lot more chance he can mould into a player, whereas Cucurella is someone we need to perform immediately now. So that's that. I'll disagree with you there. And I mean, this is a, probably a pointless point to make, but Mikhailo Mudrik's dining off of his performance in the Bernabeu earlier this season, where he got clapped off by the Real Madrid fans because he played so well and scored against them for a Shakhtar Donetsk team. But again, it's... One game in the Bernabeu is not comparable to playing a lot in the Premier League and the lot in the Ukrainian League. So I will definitely give you that. He's frustrating. I think we've got to be patient with him. He was always going to be a signing where we've got to spend a lot of money now and you've got to hope he comes good. So give him time. Give him some, some, give him some proper coaching, some proper guidance, a bit of confident teammates around him. And he, as you said, the word raw you use there is perfect because there, there's raw elements there that if you, they, they, it's coachable. It's coachable to get his touch back. It's coachable to get his movement he ha- having the raw pace and power he has is something is a great is the good sort of elements you need for a star player. So hopefully we'll we'll see next season. And if if he does continue for as he is playing now, then yeah, I will hold it. Do with you, you do you think that raw talent you should be spending ninety million on? With, yeah, I, I did say at the start it's a lot. It is a lot of money to spend. But again, we, do, we, we, do you disagree that if Arsenal hadn't been going for him, if there'd been no links between Mudrik and Arsenal, that we would have gone for him? No, but so uh, then, no, so will, then... Uh, no, 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 I will put a but on that because we would, if we were the only club going in for him, we wouldn't have to have spent that sort of money to buy him. Okay, because no one in the world. No, no, no is, that's not yeah, why I asked. No, you, I know this is why think, I said but. <laughs> do you think we would have bought him for less money, maybe, if Arsenal hadn't been interested in him? Genuinely, from the bottom of your heart. I can't give a yes or no answer to that because that hyperbole doesn't... Sorry, not the hyperbole. I can. Word. That situation doesn't exist. <laughs> no, we wouldn't have bought him if Arsenal weren't interested we, in him. We, we bought... Um, yes, we, he is a waste of money. We bought David Datro Fofana from a similar league and did not play anywhere near the same level of money for a player of the same age. But we had to pay that sort of money for a Champions League person who played in the Champions League because another club's going in for him for a lot of money. Arsenal were going to play a similar fee, but don't you forget. So it's uh, it's... 
It's that sort of situation. This is Chelsea tinted glasses if I've ever seen them. We have to be honest with ourselves, Thomas. Of course we do. Chelsea tinted glasses work both ways. If (laughs) Manchester United had spent 90 million buying Mudrick and he was performing like this, we would be absolutely clowning him. In fact, we did do it with Jadon Sancho. We did do it with Anthony. We've done it with all these players that other other teams have bought for big money. We did it with Pepe. We have to be honest and say it's it's been a mistake. And there's no there's no way around. There's no two ways around it. The scouts that scouted him have made a mistake. He is not worth that money. It doesn't matter if in the future he's worth that money. Oh, it does. No, it doesn't. Yeah, you sign a man on an eight-year contract, it definitely matters if he's worth that in the future. If in 2027 he's worth £90 million, then that doesn't mean that he was worth £90 million when we signed him. If he's worth £180 million and he's a Ballon d'Or winner, then perhaps we can talk. I mean, if he's still worth £90 million, then that's quite a good investment because that would mean he would have had to have played well for seven seasons. But we wouldn't have had to build him up ourselves what's, what's the difference there why does that yeah, matter so we've, had, we've been paying him 200 grand a week and if he's still worth he's starting he's starting years, and then... being terrible no i disagree I think we're gonna go around in circles yeah. here i think we should we should okay, definitely let's do move a line on. under that let's move on to testing tom we've actually gone quite this is gonna be quite this is good episode. yeah no, this is good we i like can, it. we can rattle through this we can rattle through testing yeah, tom yeah yeah um We've got plenty of time, to be fair. I've done, since we conceded five goals against the oh two God. two Manchester clubs in the last last two games, I've done away days in Manchester since 2018, five Ooh. years ago. Okay, yeah. This does include, so it's six games uh, away in, uh, in Manchester. The old, uh, old Trafford and the Etihad. Yep. Okay. They're all league games. All Premier League all games. Premier league, no okay. cup games cool, or cool, cool. Champions League games or whatever. Yeah. Who is Chelsea's top scorer in all 12 away games in Manchester since oh, 2018? God. Um, so this is including 17-18 season. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so this wouldn't... So this, just to clarify, this doesn't include the December 2017 win against City from the 17-18 season. No, that was, that was a home game. No, away at the Etihad with oh, Hazard no. and no, that, yeah, it's just that, just from 2018 yeah. onwards. Okay. So we, we do not score at Old Trafford very often. <laughs> So, Marcus Alonso, I know full well, has got two goals at Old Trafford in that time. So, it could be him. I'm trying to rem- remind myself of City away games in that time. We did... Ah, it's Marcus Alonso. He got one in the Etihad as well. It's Marcus Alonso. It is Marcus Alonso. Yeah. Marcus Alonso scored twice against United in that time. For mm. him, and once against yeah, Manchester City. The winner City. in 2021. The yeah. last minute. Very Correct nice. with three. But... Mm. You could have also answered Sterling. Oh. Because he is a Chelsea player who has scored three times <laughs> in those games. Just Ooh. coincidentally all for the wrong club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is Chelsea's worst defeat in those 12 games? Uh, well, that will be 6-0 away at the Etihad under Maurizio Sarri. 6-0 away at the Etihad. Can you name the next worst? Uh, ooh, next worst. Uh, does it include yesterday? <laughs> it does include yesterday. Um, I'm trying to think if there's been a worse than a 4-0 in that time. Um uh, no, I don't think there has been. So the two, the two four nils at Old Trafford. Hey, it was four one yesterday. The four nil at Old Trafford. We didn't even talk about. Yeah, Jal Felix. Felix scored a goal. It was great. He it put was... it to the Chelsea fans. <laughs> Wonderful. That'll do. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the four nil under Frank Lampard. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, how many games have Chelsea won out of those twelve games? Oh, it's one. <laughs> yes, Can you yeah. name the game yet? Who yeah, two one. one. Um, City opened the scoring through Sterling. They then missed a penalty for Aguero, which was the Theo Penenka. Billy Gilmore gave that away. Uh, Ziyech got the equaliser, and we all mentioned Alonso stole, I might mention, stole H- Hudson-Odoi's goal and put it in himself. 
yeah, deserved. Alonso's better than Hudson Odoi. Nah. <laughs> nah. All right. In those games, which Manchester side has scored more goals against Chelsea? Oh, that's interesting. Um, do some, try and do a little bit of maths. Uh, so two fours for United away. That's eight. Um, it was a one-one draw last season. Nine. Um, Twenty nineteen was also a one-one draw. Ten. Um, what happened behind closed doors? That was nil-nil. Um, under two, call we didn't win. Um, then City got six. You got one, one. Um, oh, I'm gonna guess City. Do you know how much they got? <laughs> Is it under ten? Was it under it's, ten? It's not under ten. No, and um, probably something like fourteen. No, it's. 12, but 12. Manchester United also got 12. So oh, it's a, a, oh, it's a, a tie. Bit of a trick fair question. Bit yeah, of a trick fair, question. yeah, yeah. Do, but that's good. 12 goals conceded away from away in Manchester since um, since 2018. I mean, and at least... I think, I think four or five goals scored in that time. Yeah, I mean, at least for the City ones, they were, half of them came in one game. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, and then for United ones, eight out of the 12 came in two. Oh, no, yeah. sorry, 24 goals conceded. Ah, 24 ah, goals conceded. Ah, <laughs> Twenty-four yeah. goals conceded, about six scored, I would say. Yeah, no, our, our, our record at Old Trafford in particular is horrific. It's, it's been ten yeah. years since we last won there, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah, very, very bad. Very poor indeed. Okay, let's move on to the last game of the season. Oh, we didn't even talk about Reading. Let's talk yeah, about well, the WSL first. Yeah, WSL. Yeah. I mean, we did kind of talk about Reading. Reading yeah. versus Chelsea, bo- top of the league versus bottom of the league. Expecting a win? I mean, as we, yeah, the amount of times we've touched with this podcast, yeah, anything but a win will be. Probably the biggest upset in WSL history. So. Let me just check the WSL table. I th- they're already relegated, apart bar from a bar a miracle. I'm pretty sure. Let's have a just cheeky look. Just yeah. Maybe. No, if Leicester lose and Reading win, they stay up. Oh. One team goes down, isn't it? In the yes, WSL? it is just one team. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I will quote Reading's manager, whose name I'm afraid I can't remember, after their result last week. That they were trying to win last week because no, so they they packed it in after half time against Tottenham because they knew they were playing us next week. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Because <laughs> they're basically he's hinting that they he knows they have no chance to stay up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Leicester, Leicester faced Brighton, who are also at the bottom of the table. So Leicester mm. could potentially just win, and then it wouldn't matter. I mean, yeah, but, but to be fair, Brighton are in are in decent form under the yeah. new manager. So, but okay. yeah, no, it should be fine. I'm also predicting a win. I'll go. I mean, given the games against Everton and Leicester, I'll go seven nil Chelsea. Actually, yeah, no, no, I'll go. I'll go nine nil. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Touch wood, touch wood, touch wood. <laughs> <laughs> so we lose one 0 in the last minute. Oh, there's so many potential clips here. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, let's talk about Chelsea men's last game of the season. It's at home against Newcastle. It's shaping up to be a thrilling fixture. Oh, yes. I don't think any Chelsea fan expects a result i don't no. think any chelsea fan has any excitement towards this game i just want the season to be over yeah. i just want the next season to be in 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 front of me rather than behind something else no, i'd like a nice break from men's club football yeah, actually, I, would, I would like a nice yeah. break maybe just cancel next season yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we'll have a year <laughs> off let's have a year off uh what do you think is going to happen against newcastle because honestly it could go either way to be honest we could just win okay, they've yeah, got top four that. now so they yeah. might I mean, last last game of the season, indeed, no matter what the circumstances, they're always a bit of a lottery. Um, Newcastle might be similar to City there on the beach now. They've secured their Champions League qualification. To be fair, they do have third to hold on to. to I don't know, I'm pretty sure Eddie Howe, or maybe even more so Jason Tindall, <laughs> um, <laughs> will, probably, will probably be pushing for that. So yeah, they'll, 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 they'll make some of their own changes, I expect, but not none too much. And where I think is for us, we'll probably see a very similar lineup to the City game. 
we might. It's been rumoured that people like Mount, Mountain Chilwell might be on the bench, but whether it, whether they are or not will be testament to, specifically in Mount's case, whether that's him getting a chance to say goodbye or not. But uh, probably we can probably talk about that a lot about that a lot more once that becomes a bit more clearer. Um, so there'll, there'll, it'll be a similar lineup. I reckon Thiago Silva will come back in. Um, but yeah, apart from that. There's, there's no one really else who might get a chance. Knowing Frank, he might give a couple of minutes to an 18-year-old. I know Gil Chris was on the bench last night, so he might get an opportunity. A couple of the, there might be a couple of other academy players. Whether we see anything else other than that, I don't know. Um, I mean, we, I, I remember very well from the last game of the season last season, Ross Barkley got five minutes and grabbed the goal. So we might see Pulisic and Ziyech get one more run out. I know they both got a run out last night, so uh, that wouldn't be surprising to me at all. I'd like to see Fafana start, David Fafana up front. Um, I've... He didn't get much of an opportunity yesterday when he, he's when he coming played. up against very good centre backs. He is, but he he also has not had a, much of a chance to show his skills apart from one game against Fulham where he got taken off a half time. Sorry, against um, Southampton where he got taken off a half time. Every other game he's had to come off the bench in a game where we desperately need him to perform to a ridiculous standard and grab us a goal. So it'd be nice for him to get a chance from the start and see what see what he can do. See if he can. I mean, he can't be any worse than Kai Havertz has been. So. Why not? He's going to be here for a little while. He'll probably go on loan next season. He'll so yeah, it'd be nice for him to get an opportunity. But yeah, another another start for Carney, another can't start for Lewis, and yeah, it will, yeah, no idea what to expect. But yeah, I've gone from looking forward to going for the final game of the season to after last night. I yeah, very much like the season to be over now. <laughs> Please just end it. It really took until last night for that to happen. Yeah, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that was the breaking point. That's the third <laughs> sentence of our very first episode. Said I am probably the most positive Chelsea fan ever, and this this has really tried my patience. Yeah, but it has been the worst season of, for Chelsea in Premier League history. Yeah, and that we, is... we we need to score nine goals on Sunday to break our lowest ever point goal scored in a Premier League season luckily we scored that goal from Felix last night means we have scored in at least 15 games this season which is equal to our worst but we have got the lowest amount of points yeah lowest amount of points and we could very well finish 14th which is equal to our lowest finish ever because yeah. teams around us are winning and we are not. I think Wolves have got a pretty difficult game, though. Yeah, and, and there's lots of behind-the-scenes stuff there, so that, yeah. that could play into our favour. <laughs> yeah, we might secure 13th place. Ooh, you never know. Dude, I'll hold on to 12th. <laughs> we'll try and be there. Yay. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Let's try and... let's try. We broke the record for our youngest squad ever in a Premier League match yesterday. Mm. Let's try and beat that again. Let's I mean, go for a full squad of under-18s. Without Aspilicueta yesterday, that would have been... <laughs> the, the team would have been the children. Yeah. <laughs> I do think Aspilicueta will probably start, though, unless he's injured because it's probably going to be his last game. Yeah, um, there, there is, the, the name's not going to come to me off the top of my head, but there is one youth player who is quite a good right back who might get a go, but he's not been on the bench, so it's unlikely. I wouldn't mind a full squad of under-18s with Enzo Fernandez. Chukwameku's not under-18. Yeah, and, yeah, and Lewis Hall. And and Lewis Hall. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I wouldn't mind that me. squad. I would, yeah. I'd just do it. It'd yeah. be funny. I mean, we've been we, we calling for, this is why we've been calling for Lampard to make the small changes earlier on, so we could have just done this by yeah, the Yeah, make the big changes. Like, Start Salonina in goal. Yeah, I mean, he is he is at the World Cup at the moment, but <laughs> bring him back. Yeah, yeah, put put that put that American that even Jackson had never heard of on the bench. <laughs> put him in goal. Screw it. Why not? All right. Well, I'm glad we we ended the podcast on a bit of a laugh because it has been a very depressing season. Mm. Uh, hopefully, the more we carry this on, the more we can build up our positivity towards yeah. next season before we inevitably lose the first game of the season. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's, you know, there's only going to be a maximum of one more loss to talk about, at least. So, <laughs> Very true. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, next week's Touch wood, touch wood, touch wood. 
All right, oh, thank gosh. you very much for listening. This has been the Blue Tomorrow podcast. I apologise for the significantly longer episode, but I hope you enjoyed. If anyone's got to hear, I'll we'll buy you a few pints. <laughs> yeah, send a DM if you made it this far. We'll both buy you a pint. All right, mm. thank you very much for listening, and bye-bye. Bye.